Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Good morning. Microphone working okay? Good. I don't want you to think I have laryngitis out there in TV land. Oh, Pastor, this is the fourth week that we're going through fears. Not fears. Um, that's my fear. Let's talk about fear. Um, fourth week of victory. And how many of you have a fear of public speaking? How many of you being honest? So Pastor Greg comes to me and says, Charles, will you speak about fear? I'm going, okay, I get to practice what I'm going to preach. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be here. And uh, let me just turn this thing on. I had surgery in my eyes recently, so now I used to be nearsighted. Now I'm farsighted. I had to go like this, on, off, all the time. And my glasses are being repaired, so I got... Computer glasses, so you all look blurry right now, so I'm going to have fun up here. Anyway, victory over fear. And we're going to have a lost slide in the beginning part of this message before we get into the real... Is this thing working? I remember Greg was doing this last week. There. So anyway, ask to speak on fear. So I go, okay, you're going to speak on fear. I've got to look into the Bible and see what the Bible says about fear. The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Okay, victory over fear of God. Um, I think I better do a little more research on that one. Oh, this is the Greek. Now, I'm going to sound real educated here. I never took Greek in college, but I'm not going to tell you that, okay? Just pretend I really know what I'm talking about. So if I mispronounce a word, you understand. Theosabia. That is the fear, respect, honor, fear. So we see in the English translation of the Bible different words for fear, and they don't always mean the same thing in the original language. So we're not going to teach you to have victory over fear of God. We want to have you have victory in the fear of God. So it's a different, it's a different kind of victory. But then there's this passage... There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Well, we want to drive out fear of God. We want to drive out the bad fear, not the good fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So love and fear are opposite. Now, the Greek word for this fear is phobos. Have you ever heard the word phobia? Why the fear of fears, I guess. So anyway, fear, uh, phobos is extreme fear. So theosabia is reverent fear showing respect to God. Phobos is extreme or irrational fear or aversion to something. These fears, this is more, this is not theologically speaking, this is medically speaking right here. There's problems that have this extreme negative fear. Chronic health problems, ulcers. Increased risk of heart damage, decreased fertility, depression, fatigue, accelerated aging. How many of you want to have phobias? I don't. No fun. But a fear, what is fear? Fear is is a future. It's a what if. It's a fear of something going to happen. Not that what's happening right now, but what's going to happen. And sometimes fear, 
Fear can be good. It's caution. Take a look at this little story here. Teaching your child how to safely cross the road is one of the most important lessons they'll learn. Understanding road safety takes many years and adults, especially parents, play a vital role in laying those foundations. There are some practical steps you can take to teach your child about how to stop, look, listen and think before crossing a road. passage here is the wise and cautious are to, and avoid to the wise are cautious and avoid danger fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence proverbs 14 16. now that video play on the youtube youtube uh it did good we were having some technical issues earlier and i just want to make sure everybody out there is watching on tv can know gets to see the video awesome the bible says do not fear 365 times now, okay, I thought this is true, is awesome, but sometimes when you hear quotes, you go, is that for real? Is that really true? Or this? I mean, it's so easy to do my sermon prep by Googling, and I go, aha, here's something, and I can quote something that's not true. So I did a little more Googling, and I found a list of 365 fear knots in the Bible. First one, Genesis 15.1. So we, I was thinking we could go through all 365 of them to this morning. <laughs> Fear not. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Greg told me I only have so long for the sermon, this would take about 10, 12, 20 hours. I don't know. So we won't do that. But if you want, there's a website you can go to. Just use Google. It's our friend Google. Now, fear, we're talking about theologically, but President Franklin Roosevelt on his inauguration back in 1933 talked about fear. This is before World War II. This is during the Depression. And during the Depression, we were having problems because people are not going to spend money, you're not going to get jobs, you're not going to spend money, you don't create jobs, don't create jobs, don't create income, and therefore there's no money coming in, and we're, we're, we're staying in this Great Depression back in the 1930s. So in his inaugural address, this is what he has to say. <laughs> So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. In every dark hour of our national life, a leadership of frankness and of vigor has met with that understanding and support of the people themselves, which is essential to victory. Okay. All we had to fear is fear itself. Well, I'm going to, usually uh, I'm going to give a preacher preaches a message. He preaches and leads up to the conclusion. Well, I'm going to jump ahead to the conclusion, but you can't leave yet. Because we're going to have to go back to the Bible stories and explain the conclusion. But we're going to go ahead and jump to the conclusion now. And by the way, there's a, there, one of the best things for teaching is repetition. And so you're going to see that we're going to be doing some repetition. It's called responsive reading. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Okay. Well, you need to see the graphics of this one. Should we go Trust ahead and stop it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Oh. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean uh, trust not on in your the Lord own with all your heart and lean okay. not on your own understanding. <laughs> Let's stop it right there. Let's go back. And I always love these things. This is one of the fears of public speaking. <laughs> Proverbs three, five, and six. This Okay, I'd like for everyone to repeat after me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. That's good. Let's do it all the way through now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now that's a cure of fear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. There we go, go again. <laughs> hey, this time it's working. That's right. We'll pass, pass, go past it. Now we saw a story. We saw a video of a little kid crossing the street. Now there is reason for fear. It teaches us wisdom and caution. How many of you lock the door to your house at night? Me too. If you don't, don't raise your hand that you're not because I don't want watching say, aha, let's go over to Joe's house tonight when he's sleeping. I heard, you know. we, we, why do we lock the door at night? We're afraid of the boogeyman. How come we don't cross the street without looking both ways? We fear getting hit by a car. Uh, why do we put investments in the bank? We fear the hard time in the future when we don't have any money coming in. Fear is caution, and used properly, it prepares us to um, be ready for bad circumstance. It's that phobia that where we focused on it and focused on it, and the fear becomes our focus. And I think we went, went back one too far. Crossing the Red Sea. Now, the story of the little kid crossing the street is a minor example of the Jews coming out of Egypt crossing the Red Sea. And, and when the, that's what we're going to read Exodus 14, 10 through 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that he brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. What, you'll see what the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, 
when we look around in the dry ground, the dry land, and we look to the ocean, the dry land is very familiar. We have rocks, trees, plants, you know, uh, uh, everything. We can see what is there. But the ocean, the waters are scary. We do not know what's there. If we're in the waters, how do we survive? Or can we swim? Can we not swim? Are there sharks in the water? It's very, very, very scary. And the Jews, who were the Hebrews in Egypt, were slaves to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh enslaved them and got them to do all their work and all their labor and all their frustration and everything was because of Pharaoh. Pharaoh slaved them. And so Moses comes along, and Moses was, it's not Moses does the miracles, God does the miracles. Moses just there as a spokesman for God. He, of course, he was fearful of public speaking, so he has Aaron help him out. And, 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 and. He's struggling. What are you going to do? So anyway, but God does all these miracles. And the Hebrew slave sees God do all these miracles, and God frees him. And finally, Pharaoh says, you can go. And so they take the scenic route to Israel. They're free to go back to Israel. And I didn't bring the map along with me, but from Egypt to Israel, it's a short trip. It's taking a few days. But instead, God takes them to the scenic ground, goes way down south to where the sea is. They have to cross the sea. They're on the desert. They have spent 40 years out there. But God brought them to the Red Sea. And there they were, and Pharaoh was chasing them. Didn't God already prove that he had freed them from Pharaoh? But the Jews were so afraid of Pharaoh, they were not looking to God. When God frees us from our sin, when God delivers us, we come to the Lord, we live a life of sin, and we have these addictions, we have these fears, we have these bad habits, we have all these problems, we have this life of sin, and God frees us of it, and then we are free of our sin, we're free of our past, we are forgiven, but how often do we bring Pharaoh with us? How often do we hang on to that addiction? How often do we hang on to our thoughts? How often do we hang on to our habits and our frustrations and our, bad, and our bad interactions with people? How often do we bring Pharaoh with us? And so God had to bring them to a point where they had to trust in God or trust in Pharaoh. They didn't want to go back. But at least they went back, they know what they're going back to. It's a life they're familiar with. And sometimes when we fall back into sin, it's so much easier to go back into sin because it's a life that we're familiar with. Sure, I'm living in frustration and misery, but I know that what's going to happen. But God, when he brings to that point where we're going to put our faith in God and we step in the water and the water opens up and he lets us go through, we look back and we see that God has finally delivered us from that sin. But God had to bring him to the Red Sea. God had taken him on the, the, tur- the, the scenic route, the long way to get there. So anyway, God um, took him the long way. Now we go to the next passage. 
Christ calming the storm. Now we go from the Old Testament, we go to the New Testament now, and we see a very similar story where, where the disciples are in a boat. Let me go to that. I, the disciples feared they were going to sink. So, where is... Ah, I went one too far. We look to the New Testament, we see a very similar story. In Matthew 8, 23, we're going to read... Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly there was a great tempest rose on the sea, so the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Jesus was asleep in the boat. When his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds of the sea, and there was a great calm, so that the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Got a question. He asked him a question. Why are you afraid? Jesus is in the boat. Jesus, who is God, the same God that opened the part of the Red Sea, is in the boat with them on the Sea of Galilee. The winds are tossing and, and swirling, and they're afraid of sinking. Why were the disciples afraid of sinking? These are experienced fishermen. And the Sea of Galilee from Waterstand can be very rough when the winds come down on it. And they have probably seen other boats sink. They knew the danger they were in. And Christ said, Why are you fearful, O you little faith? Christ answered the question, Why are you faithful, you little faith? Their faith was in the sea. Their faith wasn't in God. Now, it's very easy for me to get up here and preach, have faith in God, he'll calm the sea. How many people in the Titanic were praying? I cannot say that every time we're going through a storm like that, that God is always going to calm the sea. I wish I could, but there are thousands of boats laying on the bottom of the ocean. I haven't counted them, but I know they're there. And I know that we do have fears that can be quite valid. How many of us fear a, a boss when they're angry? Because that boss can ensure our employment, that ensures us economic stability. How many fear relationships that could, when you get an angry member of the family, or or how they're going to respond to something we've done? Are we? Fearful of those who are different from us. I don't like them. I don't like their music they're playing across the street. It bothers me. Um, what about politics? You know, politics that we heard Franklin Roosevelt saying we all we had to fear is fear itself. But isn't it true that politicians? I'm talking about both parties or any other third or fourth party. Everybody uses fear. Our friends on Facebook use fear. If that person gets elected, this and this and that, bad things are going to happen. Our whole company's going to go to waste. <laughs> They're driving us to get us to the polls to vote their way based on our fears. If we're all complacent, why should I vote? So they get me all scared and I go, i got to get to the vote because I don't want this guy in. Most of the time we vote because we don't like somebody, not because we like somebody else. Because that fear of the other guy. But what about the person who went down to the Titanic? Paul wrote in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Our whole focus is on this life. Our whole focus should be on eternity instead. I gave an example. I'm going to, I gave an example a few months ago when I preached before. I'm going to give the same example again. So if you already heard this one, forgive me. Corey Tin Boone was, and her sister, uh, I forget her name now. I had my notes. Bessie, thank you. We're both Christian women who were serving time in a German concentration camp during the war. They were helping the Jews escape the persecution for the Germans, for the Nazis. Well, they got arrested. They got put in a concentration camp. Bessie was very sick, close to dying. Betsy told Corey, I had a dream that by the end of the year we're both going to be free. Betsy died. Corey was released by mistake. They're both free. So Betsy died. She was no longer in this world, but she was in the presence of God. And this world's so full of sin anyway, you know, I, I want to be in the presence of God when I die. She was free. And Corey went on to really minister for the Lord in an awesome way. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, the stories I've given so far, the Hebrew Jews leaving Egypt and the disciples in the boat are both groups of people that had to deal with their fears. But, those, but the people themselves really hadn't done anything wrong. The disciples didn't do anything wrong for them to be facing the fears of sinking. The Hebrews, you know, those all sin among people, there always is. But there was nothing, they had done what God wanted them to do. They were where God wanted them to be. But what about fear when you have done something wrong? Now, Pastor Greg read to us a couple weeks ago, from Psalm 51.10. I think that's the next slide. Yep, 51.10. And this is when David sinned with Bathsheba. He lusted after her. He got her pregnant. And then he tried to, instead of fessing up to her husband, saying, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry I got your wife pregnant. My fault, my bad. Um, <laughs> he tries to kill him. He, he, he tries to do some things to get him to think it's his own baby. And then he arranges to have him killed. So one sin led to another sin that led to another sin. There's really no uh, simple sin. Sin leads to more sin, which leads to more sin. It's a per- terrible path to go when you start getting involved in sin because there's no pretty ending. And finally, and he doesn't seem to have any remorse for what he did until Nathaniel the prophet comes and says, you're the man. And so we see that David came to his knowledge. I blew it. I really, really blew it. And he comes to God. He knows he's going down the wrong path. He, he, he prays to God, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He fears losing relationship with God. Then he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Why do I want a life with God? Why well, I want to have a relationship with God. I also fear not having a relationship with God if I stray from him. David realized that he had sinned and his sin was separating him from God. And that fear of 
not being with God drove him back to God. Now, why do people fear bad consequences when we do something wrong? Well, isn't it usually true that we deserve the bad consequences? If you use a gun and shoot someone, do you fear going to prison? <laughs> Better go to prison. Uh, you fear the consequences. When you steal someone and someone charges you for, for robbery, you fear the consequences. If you mess around your spouse finds out, you fear the consequences. And so our fear should drive us away from doing that which is wrong. It's a cautious fear. I don't want to... I, you know, one thing I don't like doing is apologizing. But if I do something wrong, I'm going to apologize. But if I don't want to apologize, maybe I shouldn't do anything wrong to begin with, and therefore I don't have to apologize because I've never done anything wrong. I had a speaker come out to the prison. For those of you who don't realize, I, I used to be a prison chaplain working in a prison in Southern California. I had a speaker came out to the prison, a dynamic speaker, and he was an ex-con. And he talked about how when he sat in the back of the patrol car, he felt so relieved. It's over. I can stop running. And I heard a couple of images saying, yeah, that's the way I felt. Yeah, me too. We fear the future, but it's easier to go ahead and face it. It's, if we've done something wrong, face the consequences. Say, yeah, I did it. I was wrong. Now, the, another, the third story, prodigal son. How many of you heard the story of the prodigal son before? How many of you have heard the story about a million times? Well, you're going to hear it one more time. I'm not going to read the story. We already know it, right? Basically, the story of the prodigal son, he disrespects his dad big time. His dad really, 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 really good to him, provides him food, clothing, place to live, safety, security, a future, and, offers, and provides him an inheritance. Well, inheritance is supposed to come in the future. But he won his inheritance now. So he says, hey, Dad, can I have my inheritance now? And Dad sadly gives it to him. And he, off he goes. Adios, Dad, see you later. Or maybe not, but I'll, I'm out of here. He goes and he lives up righteous living. He parties all the time. And suddenly he goes, my pockets are empty. And his friends say, well, we're not your friend. So here this good Jewish boy gets himself a job feeding pigs. And look at the food going, boy, that stuff looks like, that look, food looks really good. The pig food looks good. They come to his senses. He goes, I have sinned. I have sinned. I was foolish. And he goes, I, I, my, the people who work for my dad are eating a lot better than what I'm eating. I'll go back to my dad. What happens on his way back to his dad? He's rehearsing in his mind what he's going to say. Why is he rehearsing in his mind? Because he's fearful of his dad's anger. How dare you come back home after you take my stuff away, my, your, my, have my possessions that I was going to give to you later, and you take it now and you, you blow it in righteous living with, and all the party and everything that goes with it. How dare you insult me like that? And so he's rehearsing in his mind the whole way. What am I going to say? And he's rehearsing, rehearsing. He's fearful of his dad's response. What happens? His 
Dad comes running out, hugs him. Throw the party, put the ring on his finger, put the cloak on it. He, he welcomes him home. And sometimes our fears, we fear the worst because we deserve the worst and we assume we're going to get the worst. But in James 5.16 it says, Confess your faults one to another. Now that goes against fear. Fear is, I'm not going to confess my fault to anybody. They find out I'm in deep trouble. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If someone has sinned against you and they come to you and say, I blew it, are you going to get angry at them or are you going to say, thank you for telling me? Now, I cannot guarantee that when you go up and confess to someone that you sinned against them, that they're going to be, oh, thank you, let's have a big party now, you know? I got a fatty calf, let's kill it. I'm not going to guarantee that's going to happen. We're dealing with people. But God will always forgive us. And often, people will forgive us because they know how hard it is to confess and to admit and they see that if you're, if you're not giving an excuse, I'm sorry I blew it, I'm sorry I blew it, but boy, you are being an idiot what made me so mad and why I did what I did because of you. That's not confession. <laughs> when, you, when you go up and say, you know, I was wrong. I'm really wrong. I'm sorry. So James 5.16, repetition, we'll repeat it again. Confess your fault one to another. And pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So how do we get victory over fear? One more story about the water. We got the, the part of the Red Sea. We got the storm of the sea. Now we got the disciples of the boat again. And Christ, Christ is there walking on the water, but not only does Christ walk on the water, but Peter walks in the water too. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already in a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they cried. They said, they cried out in fear. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. When we're fearful, and Jesus says, Take courage as I don't be afraid. Lord, if, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You, truly you are the Son of God. But why did you fear? Why did you doubt? The difference is, Peter, 
we looked at Jesus, he had faith. We took his eyes off Jesus, he looked at the water and said, this is impossible. His eyes were not on Jesus, there was no more faith. If we look to the Lord, you know, people sometimes think faith is really hard. Faith is difficult. Oh, if you have enough faith. Well, we, don't think of, we shouldn't think of faith like how much money we have in a bank account. If I have 10 years of faith, I can ask God to find me a parking spot at the store. But if I have 100 years of faith, I can pray God will get me over this cold. If I have a million years of faith, I can heal the world. It doesn't work that way. Faith is believing in God. How many of you believe that God forgives sin? Yeah. Why? Because we look at God. Can God do it? Yes. That's faith. When I was, taking, when I was in seminary, I took a class called Ministering to the Dying and Bereaved. And we got talking about prayer. And I was really struggling with the question. I raised my hand. What do you do if someone's dying? They're close to death. They got all these tubes hanging out of them. I'm, I'm embellishing the question more than what I asked the professor. They got all these tubes coming out of them, and they're hooked up, and the, the beeper's going beep, beep, beep. And, and you know they're going to die. It's just a matter of time. And someone says, Will you pray that they'll be healed? The guy's 95 years old. He's barely staying alive. You want me to pray that he's going to be healed? How can I have faith that God's going to heal? And I was going, what do I do in a situation like that? And I thought it was a very profound question. The professor looked back at me and said, just pray. I never forgot that question. I never got that answer. It's not, my, it's not me to determine if they're going to be healed. It's God. If God wants to heal them, he will heal them. All our prayer is just a request. God knows the right thing to do. We may think we know the right thing to do. But God knows the right thing to do. And God's going to answer in all his infinite wisdom. So if we don't get the answer the way we want, we thank him. Because God knew better than to give us our request, which was the wrong thing to do. So we just ask and let God be God. So if you're in the boat with Jesus... Lord, help us. Trust him. He's going to calm the sea. If you're on the Titanic and it's sinking, Lord, help us. Some go in the lifeboat. Some were saved. Some drowned. But we know that we have eternity with the Lord. Don't worry about this present life. Make sure we have a life with God. Make sure we have life we should have. Now I'm going to try this one more time. Responsive reading. Let's see if this thing works. Read along with it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Boy, you're all really loud with that one. We had three computerized voices in speaking out loud. So, but um, basically, trust in the Lord with all your heart and not, do not lean on your own understanding. How do you have victory over fear? You trust the Lord. It is that simple. If we trust in the Lord, we know God is good. 
Now, I told you a story about when I was in seminary. And what do you do when someone's going to die? Well, I got a call at 3.47 a.m. one morning by the chaplain Calipatria. The watch commander called me and said, Chaplain, we need to go down to Pioneer Hospital. We have an inmate down there that's going to die. So my wife, of course, she was awake then too because of the phone call. I said, I got to go to the hospital. We have an inmate going to die. The liver given out of him. She says, let's pray for him. I said, okay, let's pray. And she prayed. I'm glad she did. Because in my mind, he's going to die. The watch commander said he's going to die. The doctor said he's going to die. And when I get there, the inmate sees me and says, well, chaplain, this is it. I'm going to die. And I'm thinking, well, he's going to die. I've got to make sure he has the right relationship with God. I'm thinking the salvation thing, which is more important than life on this earth. What good is it for someone to get healed of, of, in their body and they never give their lives to the Lord? They're still going to go to hell for eternity. So, so the important thing is the relationship with God. But I get down there, and so I'm thinking, I'm rehearsing in my mind about leading him and asking about his relationship with God and possibly leading him in this sinner's prayer. And I get there, and he says, well, Chaplain, it looks like this is it. I'm going to die. He says, I'm going to accept the Lord. I didn't even get to ask it yet. <laughs> so I prayed with him. And I left. And I didn't know if he was alive the next day or not. So I called the hospital and he said, oh, he got sent out to San, San Diego. His uh, diagnosis improved. <laughs> I didn't pray for his healing. I just prayed for him to be saved. Three months later, I get a request. Come see me, chaplain. I'm in the infirmary. I go by and see him, and, and he was healed. I actually got a liver transplant, but that's healing. That's part of how God works. Luke was a doctor, by the way. And not his doctor. Luke was the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> but he was healed. And I said, apparently God's not done with you yet. He said, oh, I don't think God's done with me yet. He was very much a dedicated Christian. What are we afraid of? Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Victory over fear. How we have victory over fear? Very simple. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. And one more time. Trust the Lord. We got a couple minutes for uh, reflection. And I thought, I don't know, Greg... I think Greg was going to come up here afterwards. I don't see Greg in here right now. Okay, let's go come up. So God bless you. Trust in the Lord. And have a good time in the reflection time. God bless you.
So before um, before I pray for us to be dismissed, I, I do have a few announcements. Um, I did want to bring your attention to this little guy. He's kind of a forgotten member of our staff, uh, the bulletin. Um, <laughs> Uh, lots of times we just kind of forget and we just kind of do our announcements from here. But we do actually have the announcements in your bulletin as well. Um, there's a few, um, just a few items. Uh, first of all, worship night. Um, we were going to have it last week, but we didn't. So we're going to have it next month. It'll be on the 21st. Um, and we really just invite you to come and to share and worship with us. Um, it's going to be a really good evening. Um, and then also on the back table there um, where the railroad crossing is, we've got a couple of things over there for you. We have your disciple group sign-ups, and then we also have Bible Day Camp um, sign-ups. We still need a lot of help. Um, we've got a lot of kids signing up, um, which means that we need a lot of helpers. Um, and you know, it's it's really a great time to just kind of be efficient and effective for the Lord. There's a lot of kids that um, don't go here. That will be there. Um, it's a great time to minister to young children to kind of get them the seeds planted for um, watering later on by the Holy Spirit. So, um, so that's the announcements for this morning. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then um, you guys can head out. So, dear Lord God, we thank you so much for for who you are. God, we thank you for the message for um, the simplicity of such a complex thing, um, where you are the answer, God. We could say that to, to just about anything that goes on in our lives, Lord. Um, just look at you. Um, and God, just remind us of that phrase. Remind us um, to trust in you every single moment of every single day. Um, so when those fears do come up, God, that we are reminded of who can um, stop those fears. And, and um, God, we, we just thank you and we love you for... Um, for all of the blessings that you've given us and for all of the time that you allow us to have with one another. And God, we um, we just pray right now for everybody here, everybody watching online, uh, just for this next week, Lord, um, that we are focused on you and we can um, be a light for you, God. We thank you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs>